0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics.
1: Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early-stage businesses, in fact, all small businesses, and it's heard right around the world. Broadcasting tonight from my hometown of Los Angeles, where it is unbelievably hot. It has just been stifling hot. Speaking of hot, we're now also only about 24 hours away from the first presidential debate, which is the most eagerly anticipated debate that I can remember. So uh I'm eagerly awaiting that. However, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or a small business, don't expect to get any joy out of either of these candidates. Both parties have pretty much ignored the plight of small business and entrepreneurs throughout this whole election cycle. We hear a lot about the big companies and how, you know, they're putting on a few jobs here and there. Entrepreneurs are the people who are going to grow this economy. We're the people that are going to create more jobs, not the big companies. We're the ones that are going to change the economic fortunes. There's nothing more that these big monolithic bloody snails are going to do for the economy. We're the ones that are going to build the economy for ourselves, our employees, our kids, our, and the country. But we have to realize, I think, after watching these two guys slug it out, that we're going to have to do it pretty much on our own, which means we have to help each other. We have to support each other. Now, there's very encouraging signs for small business through August. The uh, confidence climbed for the first time in four months. Business activity in the US, it's holding up pretty well, even as the European future remains uncertain and the overall global, global economy still slows down and looks a bit gloomy. Expectations for business in 2013 improved substantially, with most experts believing that the fiscal cliff, which happens in December, will be averted, irrespective of who wins the White House, because they simply can't afford to let it happen. Business owners also expect improved sales by 5%, And this all augurs well for entrepreneurs and small business owners in 2013 and beyond. So at last, we've got some good news. And hopefully, Friday's employment figures will also look good. So all of us that have enjoyed some success in our business life, we need to embrace entrepreneurs. We need to do whatever we can to mentor new businesses. You know, we may be able to give them advice. We may be able to give them contacts. We may be able to help fund their start-up ventures. But by doing this, we can all par- play our part to kick-start the economy and build high-paying, high-skilled jobs that are perfect for this 21st century. You know, there's been a big pickup in the manufacturing industry, that's great. But it's small potatoes in the number of jobs, and most of those jobs are 20th century jobs. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how important it is to differentiate your product or service from all of your competitors. Unless you differentiate, consumers will have no basis on which to decide what to buy apart from price. And of course, if consumers buy based on price, then your profit margins will tighten or even disappear, and sooner or later, you'll go broke. We've also discussed over the last few weeks in this program about how you can differentiate yourself, even if you've got 10 competitors that are all doing exactly the same thing that you are, you can differentiate yourself. So when you differentiate yourself, either through positioning, providing tremendous service or adding value, you get first recall and people will buy your product rather than you having to sell it to them, and that makes life a hell of a lot easier. Last week, we talked about the first step in building repeat, higher-paying customers, how you increase profits and cut marketing costs, all at the same time just by providing awesome service and well-considered added value. Now, I believe that unequivocally, this is true. There are some nuances to this narrative. Last Saturday at Metal, which is an organization I belong to in Los Angeles, there was a tremendous presentation, I thought, by Jeffrey Hazlett, who was the former marketing director for Eastman Kodak. I thought he was just brilliant, and uh, I've also arranged to interview Jeffrey for the program on the 13th of November. But, um, there was also an excellent article in Time Online that provided a different perspective as well. The Time article argued that if anything could be considered sacred in business, differentiation would be the top candidate. They then went on, can't even read. They then went on to say that differentiation, the method marketers used to demonstrate differences between products, is pursued with grail-seeking zeal by companies interested in beating the competition. They say, mintier mouthwash, infinitely absorbing paper towels, longer-lasting batteries, ever-sharpening razors, crunchier chips, driest bottom diapers, and so on, and so on, are how we differentiate. Then they ask, what have decades of relentless differentiation brought consumers' unprecedented homogeneity? Homogeneity? I'm not sure what the word is. Homogeneousness. So it's true that you'd have to be an expert to discern any meaningful difference between dozens of detergents and cars and cereals and waters and running shoes and all sorts of other stuff. The Time article argues that the pilgrimage to differentiation got hijacked, and many marketers ended up in the land of Me Too lookalikes. Now, given the great number of companies that have been lost in the herd, there must be some basic weakness to this differentiation philosophy. Now, I'd argue that the differentiation that you create for your product needs to be one that is of critical, real, or even perceived value to your customer. Just pointing out something that is different is not differentiation in terms of marketing the product to a potential customer. I would agree that, you know, if you were going to try to explain the distinct benefits of each brand of toilet paper in your local grocery store, it would be difficult. But that's because none of the manufacturers have clearly and successfully differentiated themselves. So if you walked around to the baby shampoo aisle, then I will absolutely guarantee you that Johnson & Johnson's No More Tears shampoo clearly differentiates itself from the competitors, and the sales endorse that. Now, the Time Online article goes on to say that the explanation for the whole white noise in the toilet paper aisle and most other aisles, is disarmingly simple. Differentiation may, not, may be the top of mind for marketers, but it's just not that important to consumers. Consumers seek products and services that resolve their everyday needs, not differentiate. Well, of course, I reckon this is absolute nonsense. Differentiation is absolutely critical to consumers, but unfortunately, what most marketers do is simply not differentiation. It's just not. This is a weakness in the power of differentiation. It isn't. This sorry, it's not a, a weakness in the power of differentiation. It's simply abject failure by the responsible marketers. Differentiation's tough. It's trench warfare out there over market share. Many brands leverage a fleeting advantage to grab a point or two, only to lose it almost immediately. Effective differentiation, that's something that's built up by brand through all its communication channels over a period of time. For example, No More Tears has been an effective Johnson & Johnson differentiator for decades. It's been around for as long as I remember. It wasn't just the tagline for a brief ad campaign. That doesn't differentiate. It moves the needle marginally until your competitor reacts. Now, often marketers spend their time focusing on the competition When the only person that counts is the consumer. Competition doesn't matter a damn. They're going to do what they're going to do. You need the consumer to buy your product. Companies in the beverage industry focus so much on fighting each other that they miss the energy drink boom altogether. Yogurt companies duked it out until Cabani grabbed the majority of the category's growth. Giovanni obtained a balance between its yogurt being delicious, full of protein and active cultures, without the high fat and the calories usually associated with yogurt. And they also avoided the yogurt is for women handle. And they restored focus to the main reason the consumers of either gender buy yogurt. It's delicious, satisfying, healthful, and it's convenient. The reality is that successful brands focus on creating clear differentiation for consumers, not for competitors. Now, highlighting differences such as cereal A's got 15 grams of sugar, so cereal B comes along and says, hey, we've got 10 grams of sugar. Or Razor A's got four blades, so shit comes along and says, we've got five blades. This is a never-ending spiral. To oblivion, which along the way costs a huge amount of money to develop new products and then communicate the message. For example, light beer A has only 110 calories. Then light beer, light beer B has a 95 calorie beer. Then brand C comes up with a 64 calorie beer until brand A then retaliates with a 55 calorie beer. The result Consumer confusion and no clear differentiation. Successful brands do not exist to beat the competition. Successful brands beat the competition by understanding the con- cons- bloop, by understanding the consumer and consistently hitting their hot buttons in order to initially sell their product and then use an exceptional service added value and building a relationship with that customer to build loyalty. Successful brands get totally immersed in the lives of consumers. Now, I've mentioned many times previously, we receive a very substantial number of executive summaries and business plans every single day. And I continue to be astounded at the number of entrepreneurs who believe that because they have a great product – Securing investment will be easy, and their great product will guarantee them success. I cannot stress enough that a great product is only 10 to 15% of the battle. Having the investment funds is probably another 15% of the battle. 70% of being successful is your strategy and your ability to run a business and manage people. The reality is that only one in every 3,700 patented products becomes a a success. They're all great products, but they nearly all fail. Most of the executive summaries and business plans that I receive are appalling from an investor's perspective. In order for an entrepreneur to receive investment for somebody that they most likely don't know when they are competing with literally thousands of ideas from other entrepreneurs, you need to have an extremely compelling business proposition. So when you prepare the document, you need to prepare it from the investor's perspective, not from your own. I'm Bob Pritchard, and I will talk with my first guest, Stephen Monaco. He was the driving force behind the most successful PC data communication software of all time. And I'll talk to Stephen immediately after this short break.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for The Dr. Pat Show You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob
1: at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Radio Show. My first guest today is Stephen Monaco, a great guy with more degrees than the thermometer. He was VP Sales and Marketing at DataStorm Technologies, and he was a driving force behind the most successful PC data communication software of all time. He's worked with the who's who of Silicon Valley corporations, the company director, he's a magazine columnist, and has appeared on numerous TV shows. But what I like most about Stephen is the fact that he's a real no-bullshit kind of guy. He's our our (laughs) kind of person. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show.
2: Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you having me on, and that's
1: true. I am as
2: straight-shooting the guy as they come. Good. No, no bullshit. Yeah,
1: okay. In your email to me yesterday, you described people who write content for another entity on social media as certainly not divas, experts, gurus, or anything of the sort. Quoting you, they are simply posers who are full of shit, Stephen, what are you actually trying to say there
2: <laughs> It is kind of hard to decipher that message isn't it well i was um, I was speaking to you about a a TV program on on techCrunch, which is techcrunch dot com sure. they have a thing called pc TV and it was the author of um, the thank you economy, and I forget his name at the moment, but he said that 99.5% of social media uh, gurus, experts, divas, whatever, were were clowns. Yeah, was, was his exact quote, and I concur. I mean, there are so many people that um, because the the space is hot and it's new, that you know, I see it on Twitter all the time. People that follow me and they're Um, you know, realtor, stay-at-home mom, and social media expert. And I I just don't don't get that.
1: Yeah, I understand. I, I get annoyed by backyard marketers who've got no qualifications, who quote enough to pay their next car payment, you know, for a job, and then the companies say, you know, it doesn't work, and then companies come out and say, consultants are all thieves. By the sound of it, social media experts are even worse. So am I right in saying that unless you're going to do social media properly, in which case you need to allocate resources and considerable time, you really shouldn't do it?
2: Um, that's pretty black and white. Um, I don't know that you shouldn't do it completely, but anything worth doing is worth doing right. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly... There's certainly um, a proper way to do it and an effective way to do it that will yield results and there's no shortage of people. In fact, the vast majority of of companies are what I call dabbling in it and it ends up being a self-fulfilling thing for them when there are no results and it, it
1: doesn't work. Sure. Now, much of what you've written and spoken about publicly regards how consumers are now in control. What do you mean by that exactly?
2: Um well, I can give you some results from a survey that are pretty fresh, not even two months old that that really speak to that that I think um are very interesting. I think you will and your listeners will as well. Um, this was from Yahoo. This was done about um the number of people who multitask on their their iPhones or their Android phones or iPads or whatever mobile yep. devices while they're watching television. And this isn't while they're watching TV in an ambient sense. This is while they're sitting in front of the telly, tuned in, watching their favorite TV shows. And 80% of those people um, do that occasionally. 70% multitask once a week, almost half. 49% multitask every day. And 15%... Are on their uh, on the mobile web through their mobile phone and device, um, through the, for the entire duration of their whole of the entire show. Yeah. And what they're doing when they're on their their mobile devices is, is um, they're on their social networks and they're sending text messages. Now this isn't this isn't like twenty something people or teenagers. It's it's part of our culture now. In fact, the fastest growing demographic for new Facebook users is women over the age of 55, and one of every four adults over the age of 65 in the U.S. is now on a social
1: network. Mainly Um, because I know I've got a son going to George Washington University, and my mother still lives in Australia, and uh um, the only way she can keep in touch with Hunter is through social media because there's no way in the world he's going to write her a letter and there's absolutely no way in the world he's going to pick up a phone <laughs> to, to his so dad how they, how, either for that matter.
2: How moment. consumers are, have taken control or is that it, it's, it's the culture. If we can't devote our full attention to our very favorite TV show, how much attention do we pay to the messages that we're inundated with every day? Yep. The average American gets... Um, about 2,000 brand impressions daily. And depending on your age, to put it in perspective, that's more than your great-grandparents were exposed to in their lifetimes. So um, what do we do with all this information? Well, we tune it out. If the information isn't relevant to us, we simply tune it out. And if it's not germane to what's going on in our lives or the lives of our family, it's just noise. It's mindless drivel that we ignore and that's what advertising has become to most of us so it's just wallpipe here's the here's the real kicker is that in this always on world of constant connectivity where information is readily available and and shared um so readily there's a staggering number of consumers who are engaged online and in the u.s in my data is from 2011 um There were tens of millions of consumers who posted online product reviews on a weekly basis, and these reviews became the top influencer for buying decision for American consumers. Absolutely. And what's more, those online reviews wielded nearly twice the level of influence as traditional advertising. Yep. So um, if you take a second let that sink in, and think about it. Online reviews posted by total strangers are nearly twice as effective at influencing what consumers decide to buy than what companies are saying in their ad campaigns. Well, people And don't consumers tr- aren't yeah. listening to companies like they once did. They're listening to each other, and they don't want to be lectured to from on high. They want the opinions of their, of their peers and of other consumers. And, and those won't. disruptive changes yeah. in consumer behavior um, – and what's occurred over the last 15 years have clearly put, quote-unquote, we the people in control. And that's
1: what I mean by that. But they they also want dialogue. They're, they're tired of um, monologue where companies yell at them, and whoever yells the loudest thinks that they've got the most effective campaign. So
2: and they, what, don't tr- they don't trust them anymore. Yeah, either. that's right. They don't, they no, don't I agree. trust the companies. They don't trust the government. They don't want... To be again, they don't want to be lectured through a megaphone. They want dialogue with people they know like and trust, friends, family, peer groups. Sure.
1: So why is it that such a small percentage of companies use social media effectively? It, yeah.
2: Mostly it's because the the companies aren't prepared. they it's an organizational Problem. It, it needs to be championed. Social needs to be championed by the CEO and the C-suite, and uh, implemented across the organization. And the companies that are doing that are doing pretty well when it's when social is a component that's integrated across the the enterprise. Um, and that requires change, and people don't people don't like change. And they, they dig their heels in and say, whoa, and,
1: and they, they, don't, they don't do it. Um, yeah, the, that's absolutely the truth. So where should a company start with social media initiatives? What's, what are the first things that they should do? Well, there's two
2: things, Bob, they should do immediately. Um, the very first thing is they should do um, listening, listening. What's, what's called listening through a, a listening platform or, or what's called social media monitoring. Yep. And, um, the company that I use and like and, um, is Spiral 16. There's a number of players out there, but Spiral 16, um, won a best of class award in October of this last year. And that, that's probably the most common question I, I get asked is regarding regarding how to get started is you know what what to do and what are we listening for and to start off you're not listening for anything in particular you're just listening to to learn and make discoveries and understand and and take the data that you're monitoring to
1: gain to gain knowledge overall so you get you get that knowledge and from that you build That's a strategy is that
2: and I was going to say, and that's the other
1: thing is that
2: you should start building. I mean, get the monitoring rolling. Put in the keywords, your company name, your brand name, product name, a, a couple key competitors, and let that data start rolling. And within um, about three days, you'll have a tremendous data set. Right. And concurrently, while that's going on, is to um, develop a, develop your strategy and your it's it's not as hard as people think and that is your social media initiatives should be in lockstep with your your company's strategies yep that whatever your 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 goals are organi- organizationally that's exactly what your social strategy should be and that's where um I see so many companies fall down is that they go without a strategy or or any kind of approach and they just have this if they build it, if we build it, they will come mentality and they're surprised and disappointed when they didn't show up at all. So the the strategy, um, or, or more specifically the objectives, there should be a separate social media campaign for each and every objective. And those objectives or those campaigns should be tied to a time frame. Right.
1: Well, thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate your time today. It's great to talk to you. Um, social media is such an important part of your marketing armory that, you know, you shouldn't just give it to the guy that's the cheapest or somebody that you know or somebody that's a friend. Get the guy that is the best. And uh, right. that's really important and I can't stress it enough. You know, people who are successful are successful because they use the best. Now you can contact Stephen on www.stephenmonaco.com. That's www.stephenmonaco.com. I'll be back after this short break with more of the Bob Pritchard no bullshit radio show. Your favorite
0: Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. This is the segment where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people. What makes them tick? Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life in ordinary, average circumstances, just like most of us. So what makes them interesting, unusual, and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. My guest today in this segment is Tay Zonday. Tay is a People's Choice Award-nominated, YouTube Award-winning, Webby Award-winning singer-songwriter with more than $130 ...video views on YouTube. That is an extraordinary number. He blasted into the worldwide spotlight... ...with his viral hit, Chocolate Rain... ...and has been interviewed on Jimmy Kimmel Live... ...Good Morning America, America's Got Talent... ...CNN, MTV... ...it just goes on and on and on. He's been featured on the front page of Sunday's uh, LA Times... ...as well as the Chicago Tribune's Red Eye... ...the Toronto Star, USA Today... On and on it goes. He's also pretty trendy with the South Park, Saturday Night Live, Robot Chicken, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Girlfriends, Guitar Hero, World Tour. And he's raved about by people such as Kobe Bryant, John Mayer and Trey Cool. God. Trey also does. Commercial voice and spokesperson work for a growing portfolio of clients that include Dr Pepper, Intel, Comedy Central, Firefox, Geico, Virgin America, NASA, Toyota. He's 29, and he continues to release original music and race towards an incredible future, one would suspect. I met Tay at a uh, fantastic mentoring group in Los Angeles called Metal. Hi, Tay. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's a pleasure. Now, your real name, um, I not, might not pronounce this right, is Adam Boehner. Is that right?
3: Uh, Bonner, actually. Oh,
1: okay. So where the hell did Tay Zonde come from?
3: Well, I was in graduate school living in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and... Uh, I believed that my career path would not be a path uh, in entertainment, but would be a path of teaching and doing research and publishing papers in graduate school and, you know, on when I finished my doctorate in, in universities. And so I wanted a different name to release music under. Right. And so I created the name Day. I entered different names in quotes on Google and – Tay Day got zero results. Well, actually, and we, so know, I knew that it had not been used.
1: You know that there are 13 Tay days on Skype worldwide?
3: <laughs> I had no idea. I, just, I, I guess imitation is the highest uh, sign of flattery.
1: It would be um, a waste of a great voice if you were locked up doing research or teaching, I reckon. <laughs> now, YouTube's been such a huge part of your success so what made you think about posting videos on youtube
3: well i was working towards my phd in in minneapolis and i was a very bad graduate student uh the the subject was american studies which is as broad as it sounds and uh i was a teaching assistant which i didn't really enjoy and my real passion was uh being a hobbyist musician, I would attend open mics and other similar events at cafes and small theaters around Minneapolis. Uh, and sometimes I would drag my keyboard. It gets very cold in Minneapolis, so yeah, sure I would does. be dragging a 40 <laughs> a pound keyboard and sometimes an amplifier and uh, other gear to play for five or ten people at a cafe, uh, and half of whom might not be paying attention. And along comes YouTube, and I realized, gosh, people are just sitting in their living rooms and recording themselves sing and reaching a larger audience than it is possible to reach singing at open mics and cafes and so uh, in early two thousand and seven, I decided to start uploading videos to youtube
1: of course if you're if you're in a cafe playing to ten people, that's pretty depressing, but if you put it up on YouTube and nobody watches you, well, it doesn't quite seem so bad, does it? <laughs>
3: Uh, not nearly. And also, uh, the other thing about YouTube is you get very honest feedback uh, yes, about what you are doing, which you rarely get in real-life situations. Uh, if someone is singing at a cafe and you hate them, and they come up and ask you, well, how did I do, uh, you're going to tell them, well, that was interesting, or that was different, or keep trying, or you're not going to give them an honest opinion uh, people give very honest feedback on the Internet. When they're watching an Internet video and they don't like it, uh, no. they will tell you that in no uncertain terms in the comments. And I actually found that honest feedback refreshing on YouTube uh, compared to seeing it open
1: mics in cafes. At what point along the line to 130 million YouTube views did you decide that, um, wow, this is not a hobby, This is, I can make something big out of this? Um, why did you? Well, uh, why did Chocolate Rain go so viral? What was the tipping point? I mean, it's a great. It is a great, great clip. But what do you think spurred all that on? Uh,
3: well, people. As for the song, if, if uh, the viewership has not heard it, people say of the song that it is very repetitive. It gets stuck in your head. Uh, people have told me their two-year-old won't stop singing it in bedtime. <laughs> uh, you know, people say that my voice does not match my body. I look very young in the video. And so there's kind of a little bit of a circus aspect, I will admit, uh, to some of the viewership where you just haven't often seen a person who looks young with a a deep Barry White or Paul Robeson voice. Um, And also my mannerisms uh, are unusual in the video. I uh, do things that were completely natural to me when I did Uh, when I recorded the video, but that became inadvertently iconic later, like moving away from the mic to breathe in. Um, And uh, I suppose for those three reasons, the voice body mismatch, uh, the unusual mannerisms, and also just the catchiness of the song, um, it really took off. And it's also a very easy song to parody. So what happened on YouTube is that I sang the original Chocolate Rain song, but people would upload parodies like menstrual pain uh, and other things that would play with the lyrics. And uh, that kind of became a central activity. Um, As for a specific tipping point where I said, gosh, something is happening with this. uh, Really, I uploaded that video in April of 2007. It sat around for a while. Nothing happened with it immediately. Mm -hmm. Then in July of 2007... Uh, someone uploaded it to dig.com, which in 2007 is about the equivalent of Reddit yeah. uh, it, right now, and yep. it got attention on dig.com, and then someone posted it on uh, a certainly Internet message board known as 4chan, and it became a joke there, <laughs> and uh, it became part of a, a kind of an inside thing for them to pass this around, and it just kept getting passed around virally, Uh, via email and other means. I saw it in a prank call on the Tom Green show that uh, Tom Green was doing from his living room where someone would call in and burst into singing, Chocolate Rain! And a couple days later, it was on Carson Daly's TV show, and then the next week it was a national news story where uh, endless major outlets were reporting on this internet video, Chocolate Rain, and At first, it seemed to me like that would just be what it was. It would be a national news story for two or three weeks, and it would blow over. Um, As it turns out, it just kind of had legs like the Energizer bunny, and it kept going and going and going to a point where uh, about five weeks later, I appeared on Jimmy Kimmel uh, and performed the song there, and was interviewed on Jimmy Kimmel, and I ended up doing a commercial with Dr. Pepper uh, that uh, had a very high production value. They put uh, invested a fair amount of money in doing that music video. And so uh, that was an impressive direction that it went in. And then following uh, the next year in 2008, I won a YouTube award. I won a Webby Award the summer of 2008, a full year later. Um, it was parodied in South Park. Uh, in 2008, and so it just kind of continued, and it still continues to this day. In fact, just last month, I was parodied on Saturday Night Live, which uh, was a, a compliment. Someone played a character that was supposed to be me. And <laughs> so I inadvertently became a sort of icon for the Internet, and to this day, people who do not remember the song Chocolate Rain, people who do not remember my name, Tay Day, will still kind of stare across a long room at me and approach me and say, gosh, you are that guy from the Internet. You did yeah. that, that video thing. You did that that thing. And they know that somehow my face is something they've seen before in connection with the Internet and YouTube.
1: I must admit that uh, I met you for the first time last Saturday morning. Um, and uh, when you stood up, you, you've got, you have got a very young face, and you, you're quite... You're very thin and you're tall, and then this massive voice comes out. And I must admit, I'm sitting there in the audience, and I was watching the stage, and I heard this voice, and I thought, "Wow!" <laughs> and then, and when I found out more about it, I was I I was really surprised. So you know, you do. Um, it, it's a very impressive voice. So do people actually make money on YouTube? Say, I post a video that goes viral on YouTube. How do I develop that into a a business that has all the um, extensions that you've now got? Uh,
3: Well, I mean, it's very important to produce content on a schedule on YouTube. So I would say that whatever you did in that viral video, find a way to do it weekly. Find a way to do it every two weeks or on some type of predictable schedule where people know that every Wednesday or every second Wednesday or uh, any other date, for example, they will be able to come back and see more of that type of content and also uh, have consistent branding. Um, I was very lucky with the name Day because as soon as I uh, Googled it and decided that was my artist name, I got uh, the .com, so .com, and took it on Facebook, and, and MySpace was big at the time, and uh, Gmail and, and YouTube. And... So having that consistent branding in place when Chocolate Rain blew up was a big help to me. And uh, I would say that if you have a video that goes viral or if you find yourself in, in that situation, you have to also take a long, hard look at your branding and say, is my branding consistent? Is it consistent sure. across all platforms? Um, and so consistent branding and, and doing more of it on a schedule would be the two key things.
1: So you've been well known in the on the social media landscape for since 2007. How has social media changed and where do you think it's heading? Of course, today, um, Facebook went um, listed on NASDAQ. So where do you think um, it's all heading?
3: It's very interesting. MySpace was still the biggest thing in music when Chocolate Rain blew up in 2007. And uh, YouTube was very excited to see Chocolate Rain uh, blow up as an example of people taking an original video on YouTube, and then posting thousands of parodies and reinterpretations of that video. And it was kind of a seminal moment where YouTube said, hey, this is what differentiates us from MySpace uh, and, and other competitors in that time frame is that people can upload something and it can be remade and it can be parodied. And uh, for many years, that was kind of the way to blow up on YouTube. And in fact, uh, you have major names like Justin Bieber, um, yep. who originally started his – his mom started his YouTube account, and I believe he was singing Usher and Michael Jackson and and other types of covers and eventually came into the right type of attention to blow up. Um, I would say over time uh, the issues with copyright and um, up, uh, what – Partners are allowed to upload. Have, have definitely evolved. In 2007, YouTube was much more rigid, and and not nearly so big a fish as it is in 2012. And I would say as the years have gone on, and YouTube traffic has gotten bigger, and uh, the relationships with you know the major labels and and other copyright stakeholders have smoothed out uh, that. Uh, a wider range of parodies and a wider range of doing musical covers has become more acceptable. But, you know, as far as the future is concerned, I think YouTube really wants to compete with the viewership numbers of network television. So you have a show like American Idol that gets 30 million views or NBC's The Voice, and uh, the top YouTubers still aren't quite getting in that range in terms of video views. The biggest YouTubers are getting maybe four or five million views per video, um, each week and I, I think that's definitely the direction YouTube wants to move in is to really try to compete not just with cable TV or regional TV in its viewership numbers but uh, to compete with major network TV and and, so, and find a way to boost numbers like that.
1: So what is next for on day?
3: Uh, I continue to pursue independent music I continue to upload it to YouTube, I continue to pursue voice work uh, and uh, have been very lucky in that regard. And uh, definitely film acting and, and pursuing uh, things dramatically and continuing to grow in that area of entertainment uh, is uh, it's kind of the three-tier strategy, I suppose, for on Day: the acting, the voice work, and, and the independent music.
1: That's a long way from teaching. <laughs>
3: It it is definitely different than uh, the career path of being a university professor doing teaching and research. Sure.
1: Tay, it was great to speak to you. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'll see you next week at Metal, and we can uh, have a coffee. Now, if you'd like to find out even more about Tay, go to his website, which is dot Ning, Ning.com. And I'll be back for the last segment of the show after this short break.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at
1: bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show, targeted to entrepreneurs. That's coming to you this week from outrageously hot Los Angeles. Now, we really appreciate all the emails that you send us every week and the great ideas that people tell us about. We really do do our best to answer them and to discuss the issues that you tell us that you want to talk about. If we haven't answered your email, either on-air or off-air, I promise we will get around to it. The reason I love this segment is that it doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or have a technology company or whether you're in Nigeria. um the only reason I picked Nigeria is I just happened to get a speaking job there. Um, the UK or India or Australia, uh, we all have the same issues and this is borne out by the emails that we get. My first email today is from Mark Diamond from Tampa and Mark writes, Dear Bob, thanks for a great show. It's easy to understand and I get a lot out of it. I had a meeting this week with all my staff and we discussed the ways that we could give our customers added value we came up with some awesome ideas that we're going to implement beginning next week this got me thinking that maybe we can drive this further by implementing a social responsibility policy so my question is what are the business benefits of corporate social responsibility okay mate well let's begin with asking what is corporate responsibility It isn't just about doing the right thing. It means behaving responsibly and also dealing with suppliers who are also responsible. And corporate social responsibility offers a whole bunch of direct business benefits. Building a reputation as a responsible business, it really sets you apart. You know, companies offer favour suppliers who demonstrate responsible policies because this has a really positive impact on how they themselves are perceived by their customers. Some uh, customers prefer to deal with responsible companies and don't deal with others. The cooperative group, for instance, places strong emphasis on its social responsibility and it publishes a detailed warts and all reports on their performance on a wide, wide range of criteria from Animal welfare to how much salt they put on their pizzas. So reducing resource use, reducing waste, cutting emissions doesn't just help the environment. It saves you money as well. And it's not difficult to cut utility bills and waste disposal costs if you, if you try and you can bring immediate cash benefits. I know in these days of skyrocketing power costs, it's very easy to reduce your costs. There are other benefits too. A good reputation makes it easier to recruit employees. Employees stay longer. This reduces the costs and disruption of recruitment and retraining. Employees are more motivated and more productive. Activities such as involvement with the local community, they're ideal opportunities to generate really positive press coverage. You get good relationships with local authorities, which makes it easier to do business. And understanding the wider impact of your business can help you develop a wider range of products and services. Social responsibility can make you more competitive and can reduce the risk of any damage to your reputation. And in a lot of cases, investors recognise that your comp- corporate responsibility and are willing to finance you. So there's a lot of, of benefits from this. So keep it up, Mark. Please send me an email in about three months after you've got this process going and let me ha- know how it goes. We'll send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition. There's some great information in it that I'm confident will help you with your business. So send in your questions. Email me at bob at com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and I look forward to being with you again at the same time next week. So until next time, have a fantastic and successful week. Enjoy the debate tomorrow and let's go out, kick some butt and earn some money. See you later.